but for the most part, um, the great thing about this brand in particular, Supercuts, is that I don't have to necessarily live in New York to be able to operate and run it. I live in Florida, which was always my plan um, to move from New York to Florida. Um, and then this just opened up that opportunity. And now I'm able to do other things down here, uh, whether I'm opening up Supercuts or my new latest brand, which is um, Smoothie King. Uh, which is actually funny because that's more in line with my whole fitness and things like that now. So I'm kind of coming back to that after 20 some years. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a, a pretty interesting journey. So welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name is Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. My life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Thank you for tuning in today. Very excited about our episode that we're doing today with our guest, Michael Derrick, who is a multi-experienced uh, franchise owner across multiple different brands. And uh, before we started recording, we were talking about just this journey. I, I don't know if he went into franchising thinking that his journey would be across multiple brands, but it's it's an exciting uh, story we're going to hear about how he he did that in his career so far. Um, before we jump in, uh, just wanted to touch on this is really the, the direction of our podcast that we're trying to take it uh, more so focused on the stories of franchisees and and the trials and tribulations, right? Some of the, the negatives and the positives, because when you're looking at exploring franchises, sometimes people leave out the harder parts. And so we like to get into the good and the bad. So you can be really informed about this amazing decision of being a business owner. Anyway, with that, without further ado, Michael, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Dan, for having me on today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, I, I would be remiss not to also, of course, uh, introduce our, our co-host, Christian. How are you, Christian? Living the dream, man. Doing awesome as always. Really excited for uh, for the podcast today. I think it's really cool to have someone with Michael's experience to talk about his franchise journey. So really excited to dive into that. I think a good place to start then would be, how did you get into franchising? And was it was franchising something you always wanted to get into? Or were you just thinking about, how do I get into business ownership? And and you just, just found a franchise and thought that it was the right opportunity? I mean, how, how did that happen? Hmm. Uh, kind of an interesting story. So... Um... I came out of uh, college and uh, graduated with my teaching degree um, from Geneseo University in upstate New York. And so, um, you know, immediately found out that the uh, the pathway to becoming a teacher was going to be a little rough. Um, so I went into kind of the restaurant business up there a bit and was, you know, um, doing that for um, probably a six-week training program for an assistant management position. Uh, with a brand called Bob Evans. And uh, <laughs> the four o'clock in the morning stuff was killing me. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. So why did I go to school all that time? You know, and um, I really need to find a way to get into teaching. So the only way you could do it back then, because teaching positions were so uh, territorial, I had to like leave New York to go um, to a position in Florida. So I took that and I knew that if I got a year's experience in, I could go back to New York and pretty much get hired. And so I did that, um, taught for a year in Florida, came back to New York, and then taught for about eh, two years there and got an administrative position um, and kind of jumped from teaching to administration and really enjoyed it. But, you know, just one day I was sitting in my office, I had like offices in like six different school districts. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm set for the next 20 years, but like, I'm bored out of my mind. I can't, I'm like, I can't deal with this. And so, um, I happened to have at the time a personal training business on the side. I was really into athletics and, and bodybuilding and things. And so I decided, uh, you know, I had a couple clients and we were, business was growing. And then, um, one of my clients actually became a really good friend of mine. And we were out one night, um, 
just hanging out, went to the movies and we were talking and he was like, um, you know, I said, what do you want to do with your future? And he's like, ah, I really love business. And, um, I said, yeah, me too. I go, I really want to expand in some way, but I just don't know. I'm doing this personal training on the sides. You got a supplement business. I go, but I feel like there's something more. And he goes, yeah, me too. He goes, what about, you know, you and me, why don't we go into business together? I said, what will we do? And he said, man, he goes, um, believe it or not, he goes, I work for this um, franchise or this company that, you know, is going to explode here in the Western New York area in the next three to five years. He goes, there's really nobody in it right now. There's only like maybe three or four locations. He goes, but they've exploded in Canada and they're going to explode here. He's like, why don't we go approach the company with a business plan to buy up a couple of the corporate stores and then expand, you know, and go from there. So I said, man, that's a great idea. What's the brand? (laughs) And so he's like, it's Tim Hortons. And I'm like, Tim Hortons, what's that? So uh, he's like, hey, um, why don't you go visit one of the locations, the new one around, around the corner from where you live? So I walked in this place and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like the total antithesis of everything that I believe in, which is funny because like it's coffee and donuts and here I am the health nut and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but you know, they had a healthy side of the menu too. Um, and so I, I went in and I said, you know, I just really felt something. I felt like, you know, something special on what I was going into. And so uh, I came back to him. I said, hey, why not? I go, um, you know, I'm selling coffee and donuts. I got other healthy things here. I go, bagels, whatever. I go, this looks like we can make some money at this. And so, um, you know, I had kind of done a little research on the brand, their history. And then we went back to the company. And interesting enough, um, the company was like loving the idea of, you know, me coming to them to be a franchisee with my education experience. They love the fact that I was a teacher and everything. They felt that that's great for communication purposes with staff and you can get along with people. And so uh, they were very excited about me, but they did not want to lose my friend, Joe, who at the time was their district manager. And they said, Joe, you're not going to make as much money if you, you know, go into franchising, you know, stay with us. You'll be an area director very soon. And we're going to give you a $10,000 raise just to stay with them. So, you know, Unbeknownst to him at the time, he didn't realize, but you know, if he had gone into franchising, he would have made a lot more money than what he was going to make for corporate. So, um, but they said that they would take care of me and they certainly did. Um, I got my first location, um, in February of 2000, um, opened my first store. We opened with the highest, um, us sales of a Tim Hortons location in the United States at, at that time ever. Um, which was pretty exciting. And they came out with a big bottle of champagne for me and everything. They were very, you know, what I really liked about the brand back then was they were just very family oriented. They just, they really rewarded their franchisees for hard work. Um, you know, there was a, just a synergy amongst them. Like, you know, I remember walking into the first Canadian meeting because back then we didn't have a separation between the US and Canada. I remember walking in that first meeting and, you know, a couple franchisees came up with their arm around me. Welcome to the family. Come on, we'll buy you a beer. Come on. And, you know, even though the beers were free, <laughs> you know, come hang out with us. And, you know, it was great. So I just really felt that camaraderie. Um, you know, they rewarded you again for hard work. And so, you know, from there it launched, um, you know, they were really excited about how we started the store. They said that, you know, that first location of mine, um, when they walked in, it was like a store that had been operating for years. Um, that's the feel it had. And, uh, you know, that was really my goal because I'd actually done some training and, and working for corporate because I had a store delay prior to. So I learned a lot of their secrets and, you know, basically, you know, follow the system and you're going to be successful. You know, the system works. And so that's what I drove through, you know, that to my team, you know, I trained the corporate way, you know, we stuck to it and hammered it out. And like within 30 days, they were so impressed with me that they offered me another existing store. Um, I took that over. Um, I got a, um, a mobile business that was supplying donuts to like throughout the whole city pretty much. Um, so I was really off and running really quickly. And, um, you know, what I would say is from my experience, if I had to do it all over again, I probably would not have taken on that second store right away. Um, just because, you know, honestly, we started off very high in sales, but, you know, they thought, okay, you can just hire one of our corporate managers, pop him in, take over this other store. Well, that other store was an animal and it took me away from my store, my new store. And whenever you get a new location, you really have to build your clientele. You have to spend time, you have to invest in your staff. You know, you really, that first store is so pivotal to your success, especially if you plan to expand. And, you know, I got a manager in, to be honest with you, he was, he was not in line with my philosophy on management 
he was just this easygoing, you know, guy. You know, not that easygoing is a bad thing, but he just didn't have any drive to drive the store forward. And so the sales actually started to go backwards. And I knew very quickly I needed to get in there. So I sent my wife over to run the other store. I ran this store. I was there for about a good two to three years. I groomed um, a couple management staff there and my employees, you know, working 12 hour days, just really, really growing that business. And, you know, before we, we knew it, it was, you know, it was a million dollar store. It was doing 1.5 million. It was, you know, it was growing. And then, you know, within the next two years, um, I got another location, brand new, about a mile and a half away. Um, they started off a little slow there, but you know that that took off. And um, before you knew it, I had um, two stores that were doing over two million a year in sales. Um, and you know, in our United States, um, you know, locations, there was only at the time um, seven locations doing two million or, or more a year, and I had two of them. So. Um, you know, we were, we were really doing well. And so I ended up picking up a couple other locations, some, um, you know, some non-traditional sites opened the first, um, uh, gas station combination, um, Tim Hortons and, uh, it was actually a no-go kind of gas station in our area that exploded. We were only doing coffee and baked goods out of that store and we were doing 1.5 million. So, you know, they were very impressed with, you know, how things were flowing. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that. Um, there weren't bumps in the road along the way. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like in my expansion that I didn't want to necessarily expand with managers because managers didn't always take ownership like an owner would. So I started um, doing what I felt was like more of a partnership with, with people um, that I saw had the, the drive, the, you know, the enthusiasm and, and the know-how to grow the brand. So um, that's what I did. I started bringing in people who were strategic partners and then would work in the stores, you know, hand in hand with me. Um, and that really helped me to grow really well. And so, um, you know, and, and along that, um, <laughs> that kind of trajectory, you're going to find people that, um, you know, are locked in and, and are happy with that kind of a, a setup. And then there's ones that don't, they want to go off on their own. And so, Unfortunately, I had a partner, a strategic partner who decided he wanted to go off on his own, felt like he could do it all by himself. And it really wasn't a good move for him. Um, but eventually I just had to let it go and, um, you know, move on to other greener pastures. But, um, you know, I think in my 18 year tenure with Tim's, I, I learned a lot. I learned about um, really how to go from one store to six stores. And then, you know, um, if I wanted to, I could have gone beyond that. But it was a 24 hour a day operation, seven days a week. Um, put a lot of strain on, on, you know, my family and everything. And it wasn't until about 2016 when the brand, um, sold to a, um, to a, uh, equity firm out of South America called Restaurant Brands International that the brand really changed. Um, you know, and so not only was the business an animal to run itself, but then you had the franchisor who became, you know, they came in like they were the kitty cat, you know, really nice. And, you know, you know, I'm just a little kitten here to, you know, help you guys along and all this. And before you know it, they turn into like, you know, a tiger in the back, like slashing the, uh, the whole corporate structure. Before you know it, we had nobody that we could co go to. It was crazy. And then they, you know, after about a year and a half, after they totally decimated corporate, then they started attacking us and attacking our bottom line. And I went from being like one of the highest profitable franchisees at about 20% down to like seven and a half percent because they controlled the back door coming in. And when that happened, um, we saw our profitability just sink. Plus the wages in New York went up so much and they weren't allowing us to raise prices because back then they could control that. Um, but you know, that pretty much released, um, <laughs> I guess we were more like considered like a, um, a dove in a sense, like very timid and all this as franchisees. And then at that point, we ended up coming together as one, got involved with the Great White North and, you know, fought them back. And so, you know, at that point, um, 2018, I, you know, seeing my profits going down so much, getting to a point where my um, partner was like, hey, you know what? Um, I think in order for us to like make it, you know, through the end of the year here, we're going to have to put some money into this business. And I'm like, I did not come 18 years in this business to have to put money into this thing. And then, you know, being a, you know, having employees, 
And then she, my partner basically said, Hey, look, you're going to, the only other option, if you don't want to put money and you're going to have to come and work in this business because we're not going to be able to take draws anymore. And I was like, I, I can't go back and be a general manager in my stores again. Like they just, that's just like such a, you know, walking back. And I said, this has really become a one partner business now at this point. And so, um, you know, we had some tough talks and I had said, Hey, look, you know, um, one of us is going to have to go. And she's like, it can't be me. She's like, I'm not going back to cutting lawns because she was actually in the um, landscape businesses before. And I, she's like, you can reinvent yourself. And I'm like, um, well, I guess I can, you know, I, God's with me. I can do anything. So, um, at that point, I, uh, made up, <clears throat> we, we came up working with an agreement for an exit strategy and, uh, that's what happened. So by the end of the year of 2018, I ended up selling out and, uh, selling out to my partner. And, uh, at that point, I took a couple months to just kind of decompress, try to figure out things, what my next strategy would be. And, um, in that period of time, I met a, um, a broker who, uh, was, you know, I just, he, we became friends and everything. And, and, uh, you know, he knew I was in the business looking for something new and, I said, well, this time I don't really want to start from scratch. I said, I would really love to find something that's existing and just take it over and do my magic with it. And, um, and so that's what happened. He uh, said, well, I've got this brand that's in, the, in Buffalo, New York, um, and they're going from franchise or from corporate to franchise and they're selling all their stores. And, you know, um, I think you would be a great fit. And I said, well, what's the brand? And he said, Supercuts. And I said, Supercuts. Oh, okay. I go, I know them. They're, I've gone there for my haircuts. And so uh, he's like, well, why don't you do Discovery Day and everything with them? See what you think. And so when I went there, you know, it was kind of like 1999 all over again. Just kind of like when I started with Tim's, like it was very family structured. You know, they all, you know, were very like tight knit, um, very welcoming, you know, very excited. They rewarded their franchisees for, you know, but because they did have some franchisees in the system and they really wanted to see the brand grow. And it's like a very, very, um, very similar to Tim's because they had a great um, operations program and they were very unique compared to great clips and sports clips and all these other ones because they had their own techniques for cutting hair. And um, just like we had our own coffee brand, you know, and just very unique in the, in the space. So you know, I jumped in. I liked it. They offered me five locations to start. Um, they wanted to give me the full Buffalo market. Um, and so at that time, I had some transitions going on in my life. And, uh, you know, I started with the five. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because <laughs> just a few, well, let's say I started in 18, um, went into 19. By the end of 19 and 20, um, that's when the, the pandemic hit. And um, they had actually, um, because of what was happening with the pandemic, decided, you know what, we're going to transition our, our, um, leadership team. And so Hugh, who was the CEO at the time, stepped back and they transitioned the, the leadership team. And it was so crazy because the same, some of the same guys that were with Tim's that were the reason why I left because of what they were doing to the brand ended up coming there to Supercuts. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, man. And they started doing the same things that they were doing at Tim's. And I just, I was like, what is going on? It's like some kind of bad karma or something here. So, um, you know, but the thing that was interesting was the fact that Supercuts brand was already entrenched with a very strong um, franchise association. And so they were able to stand up against the, the really like the wrecking ball that was coming. And trying to, you know, take out the franchise side and everything. And so, um, literally what happened at that point was, um, they got shut down and, um, like things froze. And obviously we had the pandemic and everything. So that was taking a hit. So everything kind of came to a standstill from the management team for a bit. And then, um, they hired a new guy, um, promoted him in, got rid of those guys from Tim's. And, um, it's just been a whole different world since then. Um, you know, and, and, you know, my transition was taking over from corporate who had basically left my team on the island. Like they told me when I came, that when I came in, they were like on the island. And so, um, but when I came, I established just a very, very close knit connection with them. Um, you know, just kind of one of the big things that I do with my teams is just a family style environment. 
And so, um, you know, they know they can come to me at any time. Um, I'm very quick to respond to their needs. Um, you know, they're very well supported. And so, uh, they were quick to latch on, you know, and some of the ones who were used to the corporate side, you know, they exited for a while. Uh, we got some back. Um, and then, you know, we went through the pandemic and then coming out of that, got our team back. Um, but, you know, honestly, it's just been, it was a little bit of a roller coaster for a time there, but, you know, now it's, it's just, it's going in the right direction. Um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, evened out and I've got a great team in place. Um, you know, they allow me to, you know, be able to function and, and do other work with other franchise brands and things like that. Um, I've, you know, and I really believe that the key is, is just really developing that team. And so that's what I really spent the last several years doing is developing my management team and then teaching them servant leadership, you know, and servant leadership is so key. Um, because I really feel that, you know, I'm not there to just be a boss. I'm not there to, um, you know, just bark out orders and things like that. That's not how I operate. You know, I'm there to, you know, meet their, like serve them, like whatever they need help with, whatever they're struggling with, you know, if they need training in areas, you know, I'll research and I'll help teach those things. I think that's part of my background as a teacher is I'm able to like learn things and then, you know, communicate those things to my team. And so, you know, and when I go into the salons, like I know nothing about cutting hair, which is the biggest joke about this whole thing is I know nothing about cutting hair. Whereas with Tim's, I could like make a sandwich. I could make a bagel. I could run the drive through. You know, I mean, I could do all that here. I mean, I can maybe I can come in and, you know, maybe help out at the reception area. I can maybe answer phone calls. I could sweep the floor of hair. You know what I mean? It's like, but I can't cut, you know, and so I can't really help them when things get busy. I feel like in this business, I feel so useless, which is crazy, but I am not because they need me to handle that whole administrative business side of things. You know, they don't, they don't need to deal with payroll. They don't need to deal with, you know, um, HR issues and stress like that. You know what I mean? So they can just, the managers are just free to go in, you know, take care of the customers, take care of their staff, you know, and, and really flow in their gifts and talents. And so I just support them as best I can, you know, and I model servant leadership when I go there, you know, I mean, I'll sweep their floors, I'll take out their trash, you know, I'm there painting the doors, you know, doing whatever I got to do to, you know, changing ceiling tiles, you know, anything that I can function in, I'm there to do. I don't like to hire a lot of people to do things unless like, I'm just, I can't get to it because I'm so busy. Um, but for the most part, um, the great thing about this brand in particular, Supercuts is that I don't have to necessarily live in New York to be able to operate and run it. I live in Florida, which was always my plan um, to move from New York to Florida. Um, and then this just opened up that opportunity. And now I'm able to do other things down here, um, whether I'm opening up Supercuts or my new latest brand, which is um, Smoothie King, uh, which is actually funny because that's more in line with my whole fitness and things like that now. So I'm kind of coming back to that after 20 some years. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a, a pretty interesting journey. So amazing story. Uh, I have so many, I think good questions, but I'll, I'll start with, um, going back to, to Tim Hortons for a moment. I'm curious, like, what do you think? And it's a multi part question. What do you think caused the explosive growth, not only in one market, but another market, Canada to America from a consumer side? And then what do you think was causing the explosive growth as a business opportunity as from a franchise, you know, franchise development, franchise sales standpoint? Is there anything you looking back feel like really was that unique selling proposition for both of those, both of those things? Yeah. So with Sims, um, I think our proximity to Canada was big. So there was a lot of brand awareness. You know, I think that's the key really um, when you go into a new market is getting your brand awareness out. Um, and getting people to understand what your your brand is. You know, I was with this other brand um, <laughs> and uh, and people thought just because of the way it was named and not knowing much about it, they thought it was like a um, like a smoke shop and it was like an IV therapy place. And they thought it was like, you know, so really having people understand your brand is important, um, but also um, the way that you expand um, because when you have like one location, two locations in an area, it's not really 
going to get your recognition out. So the one thing that we did that was particularly important was we ended up getting um, franchisees who came on that wanted to be multiple store owners and created a development schedule that allowed them to expand pretty rapidly. And, you know, with Tim, Tim Horton stores, the experience was, you know, you needed to have population of about 20,000 people around that particular location. And then you had to space them out like every two miles. So, you know, as we started doing that, uh, you know, it became a convenience pack factor, you know, with different um, traffic um, patterns and everything. So we had to be strategic about that. And so really when I left the business, um, we had about 150 points of purchase um, in, you know, we went from like four or five when I came in to 150 in you know, almost 20 years. So, um, but that was very strategic and how those were placed around that community. So like, you know, when people walk, drive through town, I mean, that's what they see every two miles is a Tim Hortons. Um, so, you know, that was very important um, as far as that. But as far as the, the, for me, I really feel what caused my rapid um, growth in my own business going from, you know, like 17,000 a week, you know, to, you know, 40,000 a week, you know, was the consistency of our location. So when people knew that they could come in and get the same coffee every time, they can get their food prepared the way they wanted, and the speed of service was extraordinary, you know, it was just, it, it was what caused our explosive growth. I mean, um, and really training my team to, to be that, like hands-on with the customer. Um, we had people who memorized like hundreds of people's orders. Like they could see the people coming in and they would have their orders ready, you know, and the only time it would confuse them if they wanted to get something different. But, um, you know, and I was like, you gotta be careful guys. Cause sometimes they want something different, believe it or not. And, um, but they love that, you know, and they love people knowing their name. And, and it really was, even though it was a, a national brand, it was a brand that was local. You know, it was, you know, the local store owner, you know, the employees were local right there. You know what I mean? And, and that people would say, that's my Tim's. Like, which Tim's is yours? Well, my Tim's is George Urban Union. You know what I mean? And so they would name their their location. And so that really, I believe, contributed to like that explosive growth over the you know course of probably about three years, four years. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. It's those little things at the end of the day that, that seem to make a huge difference. And that's what a lot of people I think don't realize is that these uh, franchise locations, you know, they're, they're, these are locally owned and operated in, you know, in many cases, right? Yeah. But some of the things you touched on, I mean, again, like Dan, I so many questions, a lot to unpack. What were some of the key things you were looking at with Tim Hortons in terms of evaluating the opportunity initially? I mean, because I think something that would be helpful for the audience is, and not even just with Tim Hortons, feel free to answer this regarding, you know, Supercuts and now Smoothie King. But what are, what, what were the ways you evaluated the different opportunities and how has your process of evaluating changed since going from one brand and then having those experiences to owning, you know, two and then, and then three? Yeah. Um, so initially when I got into the business, um, you know, I was a young entrepreneur, it's 27, 28 years old and, you know, just, you know, had a little bit of money. Um, but what I really liked back then was they were franchise, they had franchise incentive program and that basically allowed you to come in, um, with a $20,000 deposit, which at the end would be applied towards your, you know, your final payment. Um, and then they would hold your note for 30 months. And so that, you know, pretty unusual these days, but that was enough to get the brand started with a few key franchisees, which I was one of them. Um, so that was very helpful to me, you know, being young. Now coming in um, to different brands, I mean, there are incentive programs out there that, that they are running, different brands are. Um, I had one with Smoothie King um, recently. Um, but I think, you know, just kind of, having that experience, having a current brand that's very successful, um, you know, you kind of look for certain things in certain brands. Um, and for me, um, leadership, the leadership team is very important. 
I can know right away if, if they're a leadership team that's for you, you know, because the philosophy that I learned at Tim's was you take care of the franchisee and the franchisee takes care of you. And that new, that was prior to the new management team that came in. They just felt, you know, franchisees are going to do whatever we tell them to do. And that's what we care about. And so when that changed, I was like, that's not what I want to be a part of anymore. So being with Supercuts, we're back to that. You know, it's about, we know when we make the franchisee successful, the the corporate company is going to be successful. And so, um, and the shareholders are going to be successful. So um, that is vitally important in what I look for in a brand. Um, and, you know, I think that when it comes to um, the investment piece, I'm looking for an investment that's that's manageable. You know, I'm not looking for something that is going to take me 10 years to pay back. You know, I want something that if I can come in and apply everything that I've learned, I can be successful and have my note paid off easily within five years or less. And so, um, you know, that, that's something I'm looking at, you know, when I look at a brand. It's a good it's a good point. You know, I was um I was flying on it on the plane and uh I was watching Howard Schultz has a master class on on uh on Delta. They they play it or uh, allow you to watch it. And he he talked about for quarterly like take a brick and mortar coffee retail type business. Um he was explaining like, you know, if if you're if your store build out, I'm just gonna use round numbers that are made up two hundred thousand to build out, then it should be, you know, four hundred thousand in gross in year one and 20% to the bottom line. And if you're doing that, it's a good, it's a good business. And you can double that. If it's a half million investment, million in sales, 20%. And then you look at that from a cash on cash return to your your debt service. Um I think that these these numbers in whatever industry you go into, they they start to make sense. They start to kind of be like patterns. That's why loans are able to be made, right? The banks have this figured out to what will uh, be sustainable. But it's it's interesting because it sounds to me like you've enjoyed uh, being on that ground level, being that early entrepreneurial franchisee that got in. Maybe and I don't know if that's still the case, but like that these these brands you got in in early, like just for example, I'm I'm a, a young franchisor in the sense of a new franchisor. Um, my team, we've all been in franchising for almost a decade, each of us, um, and all have a tremendous amount of experience. So we're kind of a hybrid in the sense that we're a new franchise, but not a new franchisor is, is what I, I say. But with the people that we're coming, we have coming in, we're, we're very specific. They have to want to be part of something like that. They want to be okay with, they have to be okay with the bumps a little bit. They maybe even somewhat enjoy it because you're working together and they'll exchange those bumps for, the knowledge that they know we're like a family that actually cares about each other versus the bigger system, which nothing wrong with, but in the bigger system, maybe there's quote unquote less bumps, but it's a different, atm- uh, it's a different environment. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think, um, I learned that, uh, with the drip bar franchise that I got involved with. Um, you know, there was very little brand awareness. And so <clears throat> there was a lot of bumps on the road that I was not expecting you know, and I thought, okay, I can come in and, and run this business like I ran my other businesses. Um, but I'll tell you, that was a whole different animal. Um, the medical field and everything, you know, during the pandemic, I opened up and everything. So, you know, we did fairly well. Um, but for me, it was like, I just, I don't like losing. I don't like losing money. And, uh, and it was like, I was having to put money into this thing to keep it going. And I just felt like, the franchise or, you know, was so focused on expanding and getting new franchisees that they weren't spending enough time developing the brand. And they just wanted to ex- grow so fast that they weren't in the markets that they needed to be in using their advertising dollars to like, you know, promote the business. And so, um, you know, I was actually thankful that at the time my one of my franchisees was having a hard time because I was the area developer for my area um, was having a hard time finding a location and I just said hey um, you know you, I know you really want to get going and I got a great deal for you why don't you take over this location that I opened and and he jumped on it um, and then about you know uh, I would say a few months after that um, the guy there was a guy who was buying up all the territories in the whole state of Florida and the only te- territory he didn't have was mine. And uh, so he made me a sweet offer to sell it. And I just said, okay, this is good. This is like, I think, uh, 
God's providence here because I was able to like step out of that. And, you know, I think now, um, I really, you know, I don't necessarily say I would never do a new brand again, like just baby brand, but I, I'm going to really focus to find out where they stand with the brand, you know, development, um, in that particular area. Because if you don't have that kind of support, which I definitely didn't have, um, it's going to make your, your go a real rough, rough time. And, uh, you know, even though when I started with Tim's, we only had about, you know, three, four locations, you know, they were pouring a lot of money into that market to advertise and, and grow those stores, you know, and then as we started expanding, it just, it took off, you know, so. It, it's also like, then you take the fact that it's a destination, right? With a, with an Ivy Lee, Ivy, uh, uh, drip, you're not just walk, you know, usually I don't think you're just walking by thinking, let me do that. And you're, you're heading there, right? It's all very lead generation dependent. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you're, you're dealing with a specific group of folks, you know, um, that are aware of it. Number one, um, you know, and people become more aware as, as, you know, you advertise and do different things and get people through the door. But I think what really helped us at the time was the fact that we were going through a pandemic and people wanted alternative health, you know, ways to, to increase their immune systems to defend against, you know, COVID and different things that were taking place. But yeah, no, it was definitely a different animal. And, um, you know, going forward, um, you know, I'm very cautious now of what I get involved in. Um, and, and I do agree with you, you know, that when you have a brand that's been around for a while, um, that's, you know, like Smoothie King, they've been around since 1973. Um, they changed ownership, but the new owner, um, you know, he's, you know, he's, he owns it. He's private, it's privately owned. I think what's really different there is when you get involved with, um, franchises that are driven by shareholders, you know, and, um, they're non-private, um, public companies. You know, there's a real different feel when you're with those kind of companies versus, you know, privately owned brands. Um, so, it, yeah, I won't, Christian. I don't mean to, to jump in again, but it, it's interesting because I, you're speaking to my 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 ethos. Um, I a big selling proposition for our brand that we're doing in our in our market is that is a, a lot around that. I, I sold my last business to private equity. It was amazing. They're amazing. The company's great, but I, it's just a different mindset than how I look at what I want to do. And so I tell people, I can never say never. You never know what happens in life or just get sick, God forbid, or something. But for me, like, especially at the stage of life I'm at, it's like building something for the next 20, 30 years. And there's that culture. I mean, culture eats strategy for breakfast or whatever the saying is. And I, I think it really does mean something when you know that they, the, the brand is, and there are P firms that are much more really, you know, that are relationship driven. But at the end of the day, they do have a different investor. The franchisee is not their investor. Their investor is the limited partners that put their money in to get a return. Yeah. Now cult, culture is really key. And, um, you know, when I got into Tim's, it was funny because it was owned by Ron Joyce back then who, I just read about his story a little bit because um, I was looking at this um, this gift that he had given me personally that he had signed. It was a because uh, they're big into Toronto um, Maple Leafs hockey and everything. So it was like um, a gold like there's two gold there was a goaltender and um, so on mine because I, I was a partner with my mom at the time. So on my post it was actually a framed um, picture that he gave me. It was the Toronto Maple Leafs and it was like. Um, a jersey that had Ron Joyce on the back, and then on the back of the goalie jersey, it had Derek, which was my name. Oh, that's cool. My last name. And uh, then he signed it, and I was like, "Man!" And the, and you know, he just died a couple of years ago. Was a you know, one point some billion billionaire, you know. But um, you know, the thing about Ron was he was so down to earth. You know, he was like everybody's friend. He just like believed in you know. Not only did we have a great brand, but we have great franchisees. And, you know, even if you were struggling with something, he believed in you, he knew you could, he could help you pull through it, you know? And I think that the culture of Tim Hortons was built on him, you know, because, and even his legacy is the Children's Foundation, you know, and that's still going strong to this day um, because they gave back. And, you know, I think that's what's made that brand so strong is the fact that they give back, you know, to the communities in which they're in. And so, you know, part of what I want to do is, you know, I, I have private things that I do myself with ministry and things, but like, you know, to give back to people, you know, and, and from the success that I've had. But, um, you know, I think being a part of a brand that 
gives back into the community in some way, um, whether it's with helping disadvantaged children or women or, you know what I mean? Just something that you're doing. I think that is, that's something that you should look forward to, I think, when it comes to a, a franchise. Um, because if they're like that, if, if they know how to give, you know, um, you know, there's this, this proverb that says, if, if you give, um, you'll be watered yourself, you know, and so like, I really believe that. So when you give, it's going to be given back to you, you know, and so um, I, I think that's a vital thing to look for. And, and culture is important because then your people can like that work for you. They know it's not just all going into your pocket. You know, they see that you're, you're doing something and they can be a part of it too, because you can involve them in it. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a really key thing too, as you establish culture. Absolutely. Yeah. So many people when they're evaluating a franchise opportunity, obviously the natural thing is, you know, what does the investment look like? They're looking at the numbers. What can my cash on cash return be? What's the ROI? They're asking. And those are all questions you need to ask, but there are those little telltale signs, the intangible aspects like the leadership and the culture that they foster and embody. And you can tell a lot about a brand by how the leaders live their lives and the causes they care about. And, and so you're, you're hundred percent right. And I think that that's something that anyone that's evaluating an opportunity should probably look for is what does the franchise give back to? And what are the values of the leadership team and, and individually, like what are their personal values and do they align with yours? I think that's critical. And a lot of people, they don't really go in thinking about some of those intangibles, but obviously they're very important. Um, one thing I, I did want to ask Michael was, and you mentioned this earlier in terms of if you could do it again with Tim, Hort I think it was Tim Hortons, you said, if you could do it again, you would have just really refined the one location, got that going and got it to a point where then you felt like it, it made sense to go to a, a second location. Maybe you didn't do it too quickly. Um, you know, but it seems to have worked out. You, you scaled it, you know, pretty well. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about scaling and then looking back on it. You know, what is what would you say is the best way and, and strategy for a new franchisee to scale if they if they want to be a multi-unit or even multi-unit multi-brand owner? How do you go from one location to you know three, four, five, however many? You know, what's the best way to do that without you know biting off more than you can chew? Yeah, now um, I think really comes down to you understanding the system. And so the learning curve, you know, back in the day with Tim's um, was about a year. Um, you know, back when I came in, <laughs> I mean, we had to make donuts by hand. It was, it was a very, very, very strenuous um, system. So it took me probably a good year, year and a half to feel comfortable with it. I was thankful because at the time when I came in, um, I ended up closing. When I opened my first location, I closed two Dunkin' Donuts that were around me um, that were already struggling. And they knew that if they stayed open, it was just going to be worse. So I ended up getting their bakers and they came and worked for me. So that I think was one of the reasons why when the team came in, they said, hey, man, this store seems like it's been going for years. What's going on here? And I was like, well, I happened to get the whole Dunkin' Donuts baking crew. <laughs> so like they just learned our system and then they jumped right in and they were cranking it out. But, you know, and then a few years later, Tim's went to a whole par break you know, system, which completely, you know, revolutionized the bar the market and, and how quickly we could expand. But, um, you know, I think really once you got to get that system down, like once you're an expert in the system and then you can train people underneath you and start to develop your management team, you know, that is, that is, that is key. So, um, and that's really the, for me to expand, I had to have enough people, like I had to have somebody identified if it wasn't going to be me or my wife, it was going to be, uh, you know, another manager that I, I developed, um, who was going to go and take over that store. And then we would send some key employees with them, you know, that were already pre-trained and then we would hire in new people and then just train them. Um, you know, and so it worked out really well in that case. But for me being, you know, only 30 days in, I was taking over an existing store. So they had staff in place, but my, my people just weren't ready for me to leave them, you know? And so, you got to know when the right time is to leave and you've got to know, you know, you got to step out slowly. You can't just like suddenly you're gone. You're, you know, they're on the Island all by themselves. You know, they have to know that you're there and that, you know, they're, they have to have the confidence that they can handle it. Um, so once they had that confidence, you know, then I knew we were ready for the next location. And so for me, like I said before, it was hard to find managers who, 
who really took ownership, who really cared without having some kind of an incentive, mm. you know, some kind of an ownership piece. Right. And um, that's what I like about Smoothie King now is like we can identify people um, within the organization and we can bring them in as partners, you know, as like, um, you know, like a percentage ownership piece. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you've got somebody there day to day who is part owner, you know, they're taking their hands on, they, you know, they're really taking ownership in what they're doing and, and, you know, they care. Like, and that's really what it is. Like in this day and age, like finding people that just don't, you know, aren't there just for a job who actually care, who, who really feel like you're part of their why, like the, like, that's what you got to do is you got to convince the, the group of folks that are out there these days, like that working for us is like, like actually makes a difference in people's lives, you know? And, you know, if you can convince them of that, like, and that's what I've had to spend my time with my team getting them, like, this is not just a haircut. Like you're changing people's lives. You know, when they come in, you got somebody who's sad, depressed, you know, you make them look like a million bucks, you know, they'll leave there happy. Like you changed their whole day, you know, and that's why it's so important that you take that time in your consultation to make sure that you understand what they really want. And, you know, I told them that's the key to a hundred thousand dollar year stylist and somebody who's making 30, you know, Mm -hmm. is that person who can listen to their customer and transform them. You know, they'll be coming back every single time, you know, as long as you give them what they want, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that is really optimal is making sure that, you know, you, you really develop your people and you don't move too quickly. There's going to be a lot of pressure on you from the franchisor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you. Franchisor puts a lot of pressure on you to, um, to expand, to grow the brand, to take on new locations. And, you know, you, you got to l- learn how to say, no, it's not the right time for me, you know? Um, and my family comes first, my staff comes first. When I'm ready to expand, I'll let you know. Because, you know, once you're a good franchisee and you're in the system, you know, they just want you to keep duplicating because they're making a lot of money off you, right. you know, and, and they know that, you know, you can handle it for the most part. So, um, but yeah, I think, I don't know if that answers what you're looking for, but uh, that, that's key to me. Absolutely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the only way you can really truly become a semi-absentee owner, right, is, is to really have that ownership piece with people. You have not, and not just the manager, but you have the whole infrastructure of your team that really is bought in and they know the system, they're, they're trained and ready to go. And then you have the manager. I think whether it's an earn in equity program or, you know, something, but where they have an ownership piece, I think that's really one of the only ways to, to really be able to, to do it at, at a certain point. Um, but it sounds like you're doing that now. I mean, you, you own, um, some, some brands out of state, right? Are your, are your franchises all in New York and then you live in Florida or? Yeah. Yeah, so I've got um, my Supercuts um, brand is in, in New York, upstate New York, and um, here in Florida, I've got the the Smoothie King brand that I'm ex- you know expanding. Um, so you know, and, and I'm I've got other opportunities you know with other brands that I'm looking at. Um, I'm just taking it slow because you know my my philosophy going forward is like you know my my goal is not to change what I do right now because I've really. I've got a great system down. I enjoy the life I'm living. I don't want to be locked in again like I was with Tim's, you know. And and I got to the point with Tim's even that I was I got to do what I enjoyed, which was the administrative, the HR, HR stuff, you know. I got to step back. Um I didn't have to be in the day-to-day operations like that anymore. My my partners were doing that um and my management team, but like you know, it, it was a lot more stress. But now, you know, I've I've stepped into that place where I want to be able to oversee my brands from anywhere I'm at in the world, as long as I've got internet connection, you know, and communication ability. Right. Um, and, you know, I can keep hands on that way. So, yeah. So whatever brand I go into, um, I'm going into it kind of slowly just to make sure that the same philosophy that I've had with the current structure I've got now, I can maintain because, you know, like I, like I, I'm able to, actually enjoy hobbies and things like that again and, and live life and spend time with my kids. And, you know, so I've, I've got to be strategic in what I do, you know, so that that happens. Um, but the key is, is, you know, it's, it's really based on having good people. And, you know, I just don't rely on my one managers, right. my, my management team. Of course. I have convinced them that they need to 
develop people underneath them, assistant managers, supervisors, that if something happened to them, they can step right in or they can take a vacation. They can step right in, you know. So a lot of times in management, you find certain people like that are managers that like they try to do everything themselves. And that is such a no-no. And they always they have this feeling like if I train somebody else to do it, they're, they're gonna take my job. I'm like, your job is never in jeopardy as long as you do what you're supposed to do. And as you develop people underneath you, that's actually gonna make your job so much easier. And you're gonna enjoy it so much more on a day-to-day basis. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really big on making sure that we are deep, you know, mm. that we go deep in that. I would say that, you know, you guys had asked me in the beginning, is there anything we can do to promote hiring or whatever? Um, that's what I'm always doing. Cause they ask, they ask me, um, oh, well, we got like, you know, 10 stylists at the location. Should we hire more? And I'm like, you could be in a position where in a week you're, you have seven stylists. So yeah, always keep that bank of people open. Even if you bring them in part-time one day a week or whatever, at least then you know you've got people to re- rely on, especially when the busy times come. You want to rotate during the red, you know, the red season. You know, we call it, you know, like the the blackout dates, mm. basically. So, you know, um, and you want to have enough people, enough staff on. You can never have enough staff. <laughs> so, kind of look at things as you can never have enough. And if you think you have enough, you're probably about to get slammed where you're going to need more employees. Mm. So, so always be hiring. Yeah, you know, um, at least always be looking. Mm-hmm. And then the, the good thing is when you think you do have enough staff, now it's time to really find out who your A's, your B's, and your C's are and start to work out some of those C's so that you always have A's and B's, mm. you know, because you're going to have a couple C's here and there, you know, but, and, and they're good, you know, they show up, but they're like, you know, you know that they're keeping your business from moving to the next level. So if you can get in some new A's and B's and start to cut down on the C's, you know, and if they ask why, hey, why am I getting cut down? Well, it's because you're, you're a C. You're not really, you know, and be honest with people. Like, I, I'm always like a straight shooter from the hip. Like, this is the reason why you're not getting the hours. And actually, I just did that with one of our stylists and it's amazing because like she's had a total turnaround. Yep. And now she's like in that B category. So, um, and you know, we're not mean. We love people, you know, but you know, sometimes you got to speak the truth in love. You know, especially if you want them to develop more, and people sometimes just don't see it. And then once you reveal it to them, then now they're ready to to go to the next level. So, but they'll never get there until like you cut their hours away, and then they're like, kind of like, oh my gosh, I need money. You know, what do I do? And <laughs> okay, well, this is what you got to do. And so, um, it, it sounds difficult, but I think um, it kind of wakes people up sometimes. You know, right? Yeah, I think as as an owner and as a leader, your job is to get people to rise up to your standard and rise up to the to the standard that they should set for themselves. I mean, it's it's better for everybody. Everyone wins when people increase their standards of of performance and quality. And at the end of the day, I think that that's totally true. And that's that's insanely good advice. I think for anybody that's thinking about buying a franchise, at the end of the day, it is all about people. And I think your story is incredibly reassuring because, yeah, you start off very involved in the day-to-day, I'm sure. But then as time goes on and as you build those people, as you build those teams, and like you said, I love it. You went deep. You built your, you know, your A players, your B players. Of course, there's going to be C's, but then you try to either get them to the B level or maybe try to try to let them go and bring other B's and A's in. Um, and then eventually you can potentially run franchises out of state and, and through, through a Zoom account. Yeah, no, exactly. So, and that's, that's another thing too. Like I've learned part of culture is connecting with, you know, the, the folks you don't see on a day to day basis. So they need to see you. They need to like know who their boss is. They need to know who the leadership is and, and your philosophies and everything. So I actually developed, um, and, and I probably would have never happened if it hadn't been for the pandemic, but like with Zoom, now, um, once a quarter, I have a quarterly meeting with all my team. Because even when I do go into town and I visit the locations, they're not all there. Right. So I don't get to, you know, personally see them all and, and interact with them. So now we do a quarterly Zoom meeting. Um, with all my staff for each of the locations. Um, we have specific days that we do it and, you know, they're all mandatory. They're there. They get paid to be on the Zoom call. So like, you know, there's nothing that they can say there, but they, they see me. They, you know, they get to hear the same things that I'm, ta- I'm saying to you. We talk about servant leadership. We talk about, you know, um, honoring your customer, you know, you know, they're, they're there. Um, you know, 
they're not, they're, they're the most important person, you know, and we need to take care of them because without them, we don't have a business. And, you know, we talk about building a business within a business. So there's a lot of things that we work on, but, um, you know, the key there, I just think is just that communication and them knowing, listen, if you can't get through with your own, with your own managers, like if you're not, you know, um, getting through to your manager about something that you really feel is important, they're not taking you seriously. You know, you have the opportunity to come to me. You know, you got my email address, you got my phone number, you know, um, but I would always say is deal with your management manager first, mm. because that's what I'm going to end up doing. I'm going to go back to them and say, Hey, what happened here? You know, but they know that they have an open door, you know? So I think that's really helped um, because that when I first took over, I lost some key employees because they just felt like they couldn't connect with me. Mm. And, um, you know, since we've done this, man, it's been really good. We've had a very, I don't think we've lost anybody. We've been really consistent with our team. So, um, yeah, communication is, is vitally important. You know, like in a marriage, you know, it's important. It's, just, it's the same in, in your relationships with your employees. I love it. I love it. Well, we're, we've gone over a little bit what I told you, but this has just been such a fascinating conversation. And I just can imagine how helpful this will be for the audience. Um, before we, we do let you go and wrap up, I just wanted to ask if, if there, is there any, if you could offer one piece of advice or wisdom to somebody that either is a, a newer franchisee or someone that's thinking about becoming a franchisee, what would that one piece of advice be? Uh, I would say is, um, you know, whatever the brand is that you're considering, um, go in to visit the brand, you know, make yourself familiar with it. Um, and then talk to some of the owners, like owners that are like new, try to get a, you know, at least one or two new owners, um, see what their experience like, but then also talk to people who've been in the business for like a number of years, you know, um, and, and just get the different perspectives on things. Um, and I, I did that with Smoothie King. I talked to, you know, owners that have been around 20 years with the brand to, you know, owners that have been there only within five years, um, got the perspective. Um, and then I met the leadership team, you know, um, before I made my decision, like I got on a discovery call, I, I really met them. Um, I, I studied them, you know, I went and, and looked them up, you know, I did, um, reviews of, you know, the owner of the company, because that's important. Like the owner, um, I love the fact, he, you know, he's, you know, he was actually a franchisee um, and was from Korea and, um, and just like opened up like over a hundred stores there <laughs> and just did amazing. And then went to the owner of um, Smoothie King at the time and said, Hey, I'd, I'd like to see if you would sell me the business. I'd like to take this thing over and, and blow it up and expand it throughout the world. And, and he did, and he sold it. And so, you know, um, just that kind of a philosophy and seeing who's really at the top. Um, and then, cause that's going to really, when you see who's at the top, it'll, it'll make a, um, it'll make you aware of like, who are the type of people that are going to be your daily encounters, you know? So, um, and then I can tell you, you know, um, Juan, um, and his team are just, they're, they're amazing. They're hardcore, like, they're all about health and wellness and they're all about expanding the brand and getting everybody to understand it. So, um, you know, but those are some of the, probably the, the key things I would say, look for in a franchisee or in the, in a franchise is just, um, you know, getting to know that leadership team, the people, um, and the franchisees to see what they're all about. Um, you know, that I think, and then obviously look at the numbers, you know, um, is the, is the business making money, you know, cause, um, and I wouldn't get involved with a business that's making any less than 15%, like profitability, mm -hmm. um, you know, return on investment. Um, you got to be making a minimum of 15 because, you know, you're going to go through tough times. Um, you know, you're going to have trends where, you know, the food costs like skyrockets and things, you know, and if you're, <clears throat> you know, at 15%, at least you'd lose a few percent, you're still above 10. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's It's worth it at the end of the day. But if you get to a point like, I was where, you know, I was head stores doing great sales. You know, we we're doing over six million a year in sales. And like here I was down to seven and a half percent. And I had big notes I was paying on from remodels I had it done. You know, you're making nothing at the end of the day. You're not going to be happy. You know, so you got to find something that has that potential to make money. Um, and, you know, and really give it your all and spend that time. You know, and um, if you're going to spend that kind of investment, you know, 
money, you, you've got to be there um, to see that thing work and work through because you're going to have difficult times like I did. Um, but, you know, you, you stay positive um, and you've got a good support team there. You're going to make it through it. And at the end of the day, you'll be very happy with the decision that you made. Amen. I think that's incredible advice. I think it's a great place to leave it. So, uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredible. I think that this will be very valuable for the audience. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, as always, if you found this episode valuable, leave us a review, share it with friends, family, whoever. And, uh, and of course, if you would like our help buying a franchise, getting matched with franchise opportunities that could be the right fit for you, uh, reach out to us at franchisefounders at gmail.com. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Christian. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 